on this week's episode, why pop culture journalism is in the news, the plot thickens with MoviePass, and what are they thinking with the Oscars? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back for another episode of the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you listening to all of our programs. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend. He is the headmaster of Humanica Media. You got to check out everything going on today at HumanicaMedia.com, Humanica Media on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. It's my good friend. It's Josh Peterson. School is in session. Yes, and Humanican Media, as we all know, is a school of magic full of uh, just lots of cool things. Actually, just two things at the moment. But, uh, you know, growth is is there. It's, it's, it's coming. It's going to be. Just don't turn me into a frog, please. Transfiguration doesn't actually start until junior year, so you're good. Thank goodness, indeed. But it is a great show we've got for you today. We're going to be talking to Chris Daly from Fresh Media Works. We're going to be talking about the never-ending saga known as the struggles for movie pass. By the way, did you see the article the other day in regards to the fact that even though they are struggling, they're barely able to pay off loans. They're in the process of funding a new movie starring Bruce Willis. I did see that, and I did rant about it a little bit. One, you know, they not only don't have the goodwill of the fans their earning reports have just been terrible but why is a company that sells movie tickets going to get into movie creation they don't have any existing streaming platforms of any kind and they're still kind of testing the waters so why create their own movie studio that just seems like it's just it's not a great idea it's not a great business model for an already failing business Well, let's hope that if it does come to fruition and that Bruce Willis movie does come out into the big screen, that movie pass, if it's still in some form or another, by the time it comes out, the customers of it will actually be able to get to see it the first weekend, unlike some other films that they've prevented their customers from seeing. So just uh, let's hope that that's the case. But also, we're going to be talking as well with Jason Todd Feinberg. Because one of the movies, speaking of which, which is coming out this weekend, is Slenderman. And as our resident horror movie expert, he's going to be shedding some light on the actual movie itself. Plus, we've got Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. His choices that you should target in your upcoming fantasy football draft when it comes to the running back position as well. We do have a great episode, like I said, lined up. But first off... Josh, we we talked at length this weekend back and forth about certain things that happen in pop culture journalism that's in the news. Uh, I want to ask you first, what do you want to delve into, plagiarism or The Escapist? Okay, I think The Escapist could be just because the the news on The Escapist isn't really as as deep, I guess, as IGN. It's more of a, a question 
of can journalism exist, video game journalism especially, can you be a journalist in this field in 2018 and not have a political opinion or push an agenda through your articles? So just a little backstory. The Escapist, I, I think they, I you know, I never really read a lot from them. I got some stuff from them, but they were kind of before, they're kind of before my time, I want to say. Like I didn't, I was uh, not, really a huge fan of them i knew they are around but anyways they got purchased by a canadian media company and they made an announcement saying that they would be coming back and basically what this canadian company did they went in they revamped everything they got rid of a bunch of staff and uh are rehire uh, not rehiring but they're hiring new people so it's almost a completely new brand just keeping the name keeping the fan base and they're saying that we are going to deliver video game and tech journalism without politics so I just it, it leads me to this question because even like bigger companies, IGN, Kotaku, Polygon's especially bad for this is having everything is layered with politics and even you know having to do with video games. There is a lot of like social themes in video games, obviously. But do you think it's possible to be a journalist in 2018 and not have a political opinion or push an agenda of some kind in the things that you write because it bleeds through in all types of journalism though whether it's media or you know whether it's about like celebrities or video game gossip columns whatever it is there's always something political at play so what what are your thoughts on this pop culture cosmos i wanted to try and be a nice friendly warm reminder that there's a lot of great entertainment out there that is an escape sorry for the pun on the escapist there I know for the escapist, that's going to be even harder because you have to report on things from time to time, like, let's say, the Gamergate issue, which is a big issue because of the fact that there should be gender equality across the board and people should be treated fair and with respect. And there are those that have an agenda that that goes against that and shame on them for doing so. And whether it's uh, equal rights, whether it's the government, whether it's some aspect of it, they do touch on those subjects, whether it's a game they're reviewing or it's a policy or a news item that they're covering as well. I think that it's a bad idea, though, because it's kind of polarizing. But at the same time, politics have been so infused so deeply in the very fabric of video games that it's hard. Well, I will say this. It, It was a long time ago even earlier this century where games press, pop culture press, when they covered the industry in and of itself, they didn't have to go ahead and reach out to politics or didn't have to go ahead and have politics bleed into their content. I never saw it. I never really thought much about it as far as when I was looking at those sites earlier this century or even in the 90s or what have you. It is at this point in time almost unavoidable for any stretch of the imagination for any large outlet to be able to avoid politics of any kind. Yeah, but they they shouldn't be specific about it. Though like I get it, like you, I totally get it. You have to dive into especially like if you're talking about a game like Wolfenstein, which is, you know, people are saying are one of the most socially important video games of the past 10 years. So I totally understand that, but you know, with with journalism like video game journalism, especially a site like IGN, gamers are so you know we've talked about this before they're so gamers are unique there's no like two gamers that are the same everyone has such a wide variety of beliefs and whether or not they're willing to stand up and defend those beliefs that's another story in itself but like they're a very um i don't know sorry i don't know what word i'm looking for but they have a lot of different beliefs and they come from a lot of different backgrounds and you know it's dangerous to say like even just to point out like in 
you know, IGN sometimes does that where they'll point out like certain senators or whatever who made like a backhanded comment about video games or something. And then like, or if they, they go after a certain video game or a certain entertainment property into either a, a collective as far as trying to get it banned or what have you and using right. that as, or, or, or when it comes to a, a unfortunate shooting of some type, video games always seem to get drawn mm-hmm. in. Not the entertainment, as I always try to say it as a whole, get, should get drawn in if you're going to just bring in the video game debate. But the video games themselves always seem to get singled out instead of the whole entertainment spectrum as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it's just something that doesn't it it should it. I get it that it's going to be in uh, you know game journalism, but it should be in it as little as possible. Like for example, there's you know we talk about kind of funny a lot on here, and those guys are all I don't even know if you count them as journalists anymore. They just kind of talk. Well, about if it. you read the story on Polygon in regards to Greg Miller, I don't believe he likes to refer to himself as a games journalist. Yeah. So anyways, they, they had a podcast out and they're talking about the podcast is called The World Really Sucks Today. And it's a, you know, they're all talking about politics and immigration, all this stuff. And during all of them, during the course of this conversation, go on to say that they read all these headlines, but didn't actually read the articles. So when you're getting stuff like that, then that's when it takes it into the realm of uninformed opinions. And that's the kind of thing that really does isolate people. So I don't know, there's, there's a, a huge spectrum of things that that need to be addressed as politics are slowly bleeding into gaming. But, you know, at the same time, it's just, it's, you got to remember that it's, it's isolating. You know, there are gamers who sit on the right. There are gamers who sit on the left. There are gamers who try to sit in the middle, but eventually it's going, there's going to be like a break, you know, and a schism, I guess. And you just, you got to be really careful because especially these days, if you want to gather a social media following, you're going to talk about politics because that's how it's done. Everyone on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, they want attention. And how they get it is they do it by talking about things like racism or they talk, say bad things about Trump. You get into territory that you shouldn't be in because you're a games person. You're not a, you're not a politician. And that's very dangerous territory, especially, you know, since we were taught in national university, we were taught the most important thing is to be, to be unbiased. So, Talk about the political opinion, but don't take the opinion yourself. But that brings me back to the escapists is, you know, I've been thinking this over. I don't think it's possible, man. I don't think it's possible to be a journalist in 2018 and not, especially like if you have to address a political thing like we were talking about and not have a political opinion about it. Because even if you don't, somebody's going to pick something out of there and they're going to make it seem like you believe one thing or another. So it's, it's very dangerous, very, very dangerous. It is, especially if you want to aspire to be a top-ranking, high-volume traffic site. People are going to gravitate to that type of content and material. Obviously, it works for sites like Kotaku and Polygon. And I do want to mention again, if you want to learn more about Kind of Funny's Greg Miller, who's from IGM fame and also, like Josh said, Kind of Funny, again, I want to stress that Someone who I have interviewed in the past, a great reporter for Polygon, Colin Campbell, he did a huge cover story on Greg Miller. So give it a check out if you want to learn more about uh, his background and what kind of fun he's all about. But be that as it may, enough for the free puff for them. Hopefully they one day will get free puff for us. But anyways, it's just a matter of where do you want to go with your coverage? And unfortunately, it's going to bleed over. The politics and the way our world is shaping now 
politics is just bleeding over into everything. Your opinions, your thoughts, everything is under a microscope. Social media has not made in many ways things better. It's also made things a lot better as well at the same time, but it also puts everything under a microscope and everything you say and do is now just magnified just 100 fold over what it was maybe even 10, 15, 20 years ago. So like I said, the escapist is taking a big chance by trying to be a diversion away from the other sites that are going to focus at least some part. And in case of some, a major part of their coverage, as far as the political spectrum, as far as gender, racial, ethnic, or any type of coverage that they offer on those sites, Escapist is going to try and avoid it. And is it for the best long-term? I'm not sure of that, but hey, that's the way they want to do it. Maybe we should get jobs there, man. Maybe, maybe we should apply. Hey, you know, guys like us, we may actually work out best. <laughs> hey, well, hey, you get some applications, let me know. Good for them. God bless them. I respect it. The problem is that people are going to hold them to it. So the moment that something even smells slightly political, there's going to be not just like a Reddit thread about it, but there's going to be... Oh, there's going to be a lot of comments on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even like this is the kind of thing that even like you know, these big publications are talking about are probably going to be reporting on it. Like I see a headline on IGN maybe that says escapist breaks their vow or whatever. That's a bold statement and people are going to hold them accountable for it. I know in our writing that we've done both for yourgamesource.com and now popculturecosmos.wordpress.com and our upcoming site, we for the most part have been able to avoid a lot of that. I know with your deep introspectives that you've touched upon that goes into something a little bit different. But when it comes to our video game, film, electronics, technology, stuff that we do, we do a pretty good job of trying to avoid that because it it doesn't seem like it's a necessity when we do that. But that's not going to say that, hey, you tell me one day, hey, I'm going to go ahead and and do something on Gamergate or I'm going to do something on this type of of treatment as far as this in the gaming industry or this type of uh, government action against the movie industry. If you want to write an article about it, you want to go ahead and do it, by all means. I mean, if you feel that that's the case and you think it's for the betterment of our audience, then by all means as well. So you don't want to hamper yourself, but I understand they're trying to make a niche back into the marketplace and maybe it's out of frustration. Maybe it is just because it's a strategic move of some type, but the escapist proclaiming that they're going to be from this point forward not posting anything really of any political type nature, that's something that's really going to be hard for them to stick to in the long term. What are your thoughts on the actual goings on in pop culture journalism? Do you like politics bleeding over into it? Or do you like your pop culture journalism separate from what you see and hear in the regular walks of life? Do you think it's actually something that pop culture journalists can avoid, whether it's gaming, whether it's film, whether it's television, what have you? Or do you think that it's something that's unavoidable in any stretch with the relationship between politics and pop culture? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, like I said, it's going to be a great episode we have for you today. We've got Chris Daly from Fresh Media Works coming up. Then we've got Jason Todd Feinberg from Hunting Queen. Also, Tyler Baker from the Fancy Football Pater podcast. It's going to be a great episode we've got for you today. It's all coming up right away. Plus, at the end, Josh and I are going to be asking ourselves, 
what's going on with the Oscars and why are they even doing this now? We're going to be talking about that and we're going to be talking about what they're doing coming up at the end of the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. Nothing's better when grilling your favorite meal than adding some delicious Wheelie Q rubs, seasonings, and gluten-free barbecue sauce. Made with the finest ingredients, Wheelie Q products pack a ton of flavor to your meals, whether it's ribs, chicken, steak, hamburgers, fries, or vegetables. To get your hands on some of these tasty Wheelie Q items, Head on over to www.wheelieq.com and a portion of all profits made will go into finding a cure for spinal muscular atrophy. PCC Multiverse listeners, act now and get 15% off your order today just by entering the promo code POD2. That's P-O-D and the number 2 at checkout. For the tastiest food on the grill, nothing's better than Wheelie Q items today at wheelieq.com. And we're back with the program. It's Gerald once again coming right back at you here. I had to talk to this gentleman again. He has been a great guest for us in the past. And <laughs> with MoviePass continuing to have its issues, I should say, it's great to have him back here again. He is the founder and chief marketing officer at Fresh Media Works. And you also have got to check out his new board game that he's got based off of traditional high school football. It's Friday Night Legends. It is Chris Daly. What's going on? I tell you, I'm, I'm kind of stunned being uh, introduced as a, as a legend or a great man. But oh, thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, you are indeed. You are indeed, Chris. It's just a pleasure to have you here. And I'll tell you what, you know, it just keeps coming up, my friend. Yes. You as a customer know directly, but... It's been in the news again continuously since we last spoke about it. MoviePass has, I don't know, if if we were to relate it to like a swimmer in the movie Jaws, it would be the one where they're just barely above water, just about ready to get eaten up by the shark. Because I'll tell you what, they are still having issues to this day. They just announced that they did repay back one of the loans that was outstanding that's the good news. The yeah. bad news is that on a day, I think it was about two weeks ago, they shut down for a day and were not able to provide customers access to their account so that they couldn't go ahead and watch movies. I believe it was on the day before or day of the premiere of Mission Impossible Fallout. So it's gotten worse. People in the know in regards to the, the stock industry, Wall Street and whatnot, have downgraded the stock. And it's really, the stock itself has become almost worthless to this point. The future has not looked good for the company. And they just announced that they are modifying its subscription base again. Not only have they raised the prices monthly for the service, but they now are limiting the actual service itself to only three times you can take it to the movies per month, citing the fact that most of their consumers only use it three times or less anyways. That's the byline anyways. Right. So I ask you, my friend, what's going on with MoviePass in your opinion? And as a customer, are you really getting tired of it? And are you ready to move on? Yeah, well, I tell you, when we last spoke, my advice to people was that 
you know, the old saying, I'm not here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. <laughs> and and it's like, jump on, enjoy it while you can. I wasn't having any problems at the time. But since then, especially, you know, Mission Impossible comes out. It's grayed out on the app. So you can't even, it's not even one of those that's a, a premium where you have to pay more. It's just not available. So, you know, frankly, I, I had to go see the spy who dumped me and, and I really felt cheated there. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> but I tell you, and I was talking with another friend and I said, look, I'm giving them until the 15th of this month. And if it isn't straightened out by then, I'm dumping it because they may say I only go three times a month. That's fine. And, and, and oftentimes I, I, I probably would only go three times a month, but leave that up to me. You know, it's an entitlement. You've given it to me. You can't take it back or I'm going to be upset. I understand that. And we understand the fact that they are going through some financial issues, but the way that they're drastically changing the scope of how you use MoviePass is going to send people which is off the, uh, you know, just really just off the actual plan itself in droves because the fact that it just becomes so less attractive. It's still at three times a month. If you did offer the, us that in, in the beginning, yeah, maybe it would be a good deal to a lot of people because it still is a good deal for a lot of people that even at $12, $13, that's still considerably less than going three times to the the theater and actually paying for it themselves and compared to other plants that are out there i think it still squeaks by as the number one option for those type of movie pass deals because we've talked in the past about competing theater chains actually trying to go ahead and, and compete in that marketplace and what they're offering i don't think even still to this day quite matches up to the three times a month either of that type of deal but if you are a consumer, you still cannot be pulled up and down, left and right, especially because you had it so good when it originally started out. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, they sent out an email right when this happened to the customers saying, hey, we apologize. We're working through some kinks. You know, they didn't, you know, give the a lot of the detail. But, but what they said was that we've got a, a situation where yeah, Mission Impossible doesn't work, but bear with us. It'll be back. Everything will be fine. And and frankly, they didn't live up to that. And so that, like I said, I've been I've been bearing with them and and hoping and and wishing that they're going. I was going to say praying, but I, I haven't really been praying about Movie Pass. It's not that serious. <laughs> but it just hasn't lived up to it. And I feel bad mostly because I have turned on so many of my friends to MoviePass and they jumped on it, but they came on it right here at, at the, what I'm calling the end. You know, now I feel bad for advising them. And that's something I want to close out our conversation with on MoviePass. And that is the future of MoviePass. It doesn't look good. I mean, they, like I said, they did pay off one of their loans that, that were outstanding, but how long can you, keep taking from Peter to pay Paul in this type of situation because they are not flux with cash. Their stock is continuing being downgraded. And I don't see a great scenario where they will be in business that much longer. Share me your thoughts on 
the future of MoviePass, and do you think it's something long term that the company will be solvent, and or or do you think it just be going out possibly even that by the end of this year? Well, you know, I've kind of went back and forth. At first, I I thought it's such a good plan, such a good idea that the money will come. You know, you look at the Amazon model; they lost money hand over fist for years and years and years, but they had deep pockets. So these guys don't have those deep of pockets. I kept thinking it will attract those dollars and it's just not. And frankly, the reason it's not is because the movie theaters all got together, the chains and said, wait a minute, you know, we could do this without these guys. And I, I think this is I love capitalism. I'm a huge fan, but I think this is the downside of capitalism. When you get the, the these guys together, they can crush somebody, and I think that's what's going on. So I don't think they're going to survive. I don't think so either. I think long term it doesn't look good either that or they're going to probably be reshaped, bought out, reformed in some fashion. Mm-hmm. As far as that's a possibility, but some point in time i think movie pass in and of itself the existing model that we have now is going to be just going to be permanently changed in some form or fashion one last thing i want to add though Mm -hmm. it's kind of sad because this was the reason i went back to the movies i had gone years without going to movies because of all the streaming services and movie pass brought me back to the theater and so it's very sad that if they go i might go too and that's a shame because the experience of seeing things on the big screen is something I always appreciated. Maybe it's because of the fact that I worked for two special effects companies back in the 90s and and uh, the, the thrill of just seeing every morning going to see dailies and seeing your work there and realizing that's going to go up on the big screen. Maybe I've always had that with me and kept that with me. So every time I, I do go to the theaters, I still get that thrill out of it. But I can definitely understand where you're coming from because of the fact that, hey, the prices are getting more and more expensive. Like for instance, myself, if I took a family of uh, four, my, my family that, that I take to the theaters, that can get pricey, $50, $60 a shot. And and the alternative at MoviePass was just a great option at that point in time. You know, we, we might be singing the, uh, you know, old uh, epitaphs right here pretty soon for it, but and kicking the you know, the dirt up on its grave here at some point in time because the the future of movie pass does not look good. And Chris, it's been great having you again on the show, talking all the great stuff that we talk about. <laughs> I hope for your sake that movie pass does stay attractive to you as far as the experience of going to the movies, and and that will keep on going for you. But I'm not holding out much hope, my friend. I'm with you, Gerald. Thanks as always. Coming up next, it's Jason Todd Farnberg from Honey Queen. He's going to be talking about Slenderman as it hits theaters this weekend. This is the PCC Multiverse. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. This year, we're set to release Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull drops this year and is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. We're back again. It's Gerald coming right back at you here. It's going to be a decent weekend here at the box office coming up. We've got Black Klansman from Spike Lee. That's available in a limited number of theaters. 
also as well the meg the movie which depending on who you talk to could be a real pleaser with the large shark trying to eat jason statham among others and then there's another movie i want to talk about which i've got a special guest here for today it's slender man it's based off the myth it's based off the urban legend and whatnot and i was thinking who is the best person to talk about it well I have got a great idea on who to talk about it. He is our expert when it comes to horror movies, mystery, and dare I say the macabre as well, plus a lot of other great pop culture topics. If you have not heard his show, Honeyqueen, you are missing out because it's an awesome show. You can find it on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many other major outlets. It's my good friend. It's Jason Feinberg. What's up, my friend? How you doing? Thank you for the intro. Yes. And after a long winter's nap, which I'm not going to get into, and I want to thank everyone behind the scenes that uh, was very supportive, including you, Gerald. I will be back in September. I have a very small summer preview, two episodes that are going to be coming out this month. I'll talk about them in a little bit, but for now, yeah. Is 2018 an interesting year for horror, especially with this Slenderman movie, this is an invention. I mean, there's always been discussion of shadow people and mythological, or I should say cryptozoology now. It's more cryptozoology than anything. But Slenderman seems to be an invention that's only, I would say, about close to eight years old to ten years old. It was created through something awful. And it's pretty much a very tall, slender person with no face. It's tall, it's thin, it wears a 1930s, kind of like a Jack Skellington outfit, if you will. But it, it, it's not it, it's not like Jack Skellington from Nightmare Before Christmas, but it's still one of those pimped-down tuxedos with the white stripes. And I don't think I've seen those in decades. Pretty much with Slender Man, it's not that you can summon him or it. It just sort of appears. And like most myths, it seems to come in sleepy towns that you've never heard of, mostly Midwest. It's a creature that seems to like to abduct children. Now, I thought this was created so you would have parents scaring kids not to go into the woods and you know rural areas. But apparently nobody seems to be safe because Slenderman has been known to show up in suburban areas as well. Through Creepypasta, there was a mock 911 call. It's on YouTube. It's really creepy. I suggest that if you play it late at night with the lights off, it will it, it'll keep you up for a while. It deals with two little girls. They're making a 911 call to a dispatcher. And one of them is not right in the head. The other one is trying to talk to the dispatcher, saying that there's a man outside that keeps staring at them. And the dispatcher is asking, what does it want? And this little girl says that they're scared. And the dispatcher, of course, is sending out police cars. However, by the time the police cars come, because the suspension of time, apparently Slender Man, like most creatures, has supernatural powers that are beyond all physics seems to slow down time, and eventually, through this transcript that we see and hear from this little girl and a dispatcher, 
uh, Slenderman has come closer and closer to this suburban household, broken into the window because it's one of these houses where the living room is in, you know, the, the front of the house, and you know, where the window is in the front. It just it smashes the window, and when the dispatcher, after 30 seconds of silence, asks if the little girl is okay, because he keeps asking, she doesn't respond. The little girl apparently is no longer saying, oh, he just wanted to play. And then the Slender Man apparently picks up the phone and tells the dispatcher that he's going after his kids. And that's how the, it ends. So if you go on to YouTube.com, Creepypasta, Slender Man, Dispatcher, Transcript, it, it, it kind of tells you what this thing is about. So I don't know too much about the movie other than they're trying to make it like Jeepers Creepers, where it's in a small rural town. There's a girl that's heard about this myth. It's been around for, you know, they, they've stretched out and changed the mythology as Hollywood always does. And they're going to make it where this girl is going to hunt and try to kill Slenderman. I have a problem with that. I think Slenderman would work better in today's age where YouTube and you can make your own movies and there's a lot of good fan-made films out there. I don't think we need to do this in, in first person like Blair Witch, but I do think that if you really want to make like a fan-made, like how creepy Creepypasta did with the transcripts, the Dispatcher transcripts, I think that would work out a lot better. I don't think that this would work for a 90-minute movie. And that's something else I wanted to get into because along with the urban myth of the Slender Man came the unfortunate news that there was a, I guess, a coordinated fatal incident in regards to some girls that were trying to coerce this other girl because of the Slender Man issue. And unfortunately, it led to a death. Seeing that took place, what, about maybe a year or two ago as far as in the courts and whatnot, it's still fresh in a lot of people's minds. Could there be some backlash with a Slender Man movie opening in regards to this? Is it, is it a good idea or an appropriate time for a movie studio maybe putting out something like this so soon after an incident so horrific as what was told in regards to the Slender Man murder? You know, that's an excellent question. But the problem, it always is going to come down to what happens in R.E.L. life compared to R.E.L. life, fictional life and real life. I think the problem is, is that people are always going to look for a scapegoat. I could say, well, there were several movies that were shelved indefinitely because of September 11th, and, and it was just too hot of a topic. There was a Ben Affleck, Morton Friedman movie, The Sum of All Fears, where it was about terrorists, but because of September 11th, it had to be pushed to 2002, and the Iranian terrorists were switched out and neo-Nazis were put in. Because of an incident that happened somewhere, and I've heard that there's actually theaters that are banning screenings of Slenderman because of incidents and worryment, which is people are worried about incidents and repercussions and predicaments. So I compound it all into worryment. My own two senses is if people take something way too seriously from a fictional or mythological and don't understand it, it's the parents' responsibility to educate the kids. If you're dealing with close-minded parents, that's one thing. But you still have to be responsible for your kids. And if you're having kids 
that are being coerced into doing things they shouldn't be doing, I'm not going to blame the studios. Yes, the studios have a certain responsibility, but to a point. It goes back to the parents, not the studios. Yes, I understand that there was no control with September 11th. Yes, I understand there was no control with school shootings and certain movies had to be pushed back. I mean, uh, Bruce Willis's Death Wish had to be pushed back for a month because of all the school shootings that happened last year. That, and that movie almost got shelved because of it. I, I understand what's going on in the world, and the world has gotten much more scarier than it should be. But I don't think a movie coming out that just coincidentally has something to do with, with another incident, I don't think the movie is to blame. Parents should be responsible, and there should be some sort of common sense. So no, I'm not going to blame this on a movie. And whatever happens in the movie may not happen with a real-life incident. Movies are meant for escape and fiction. And yes, I understand that everybody wants an escape, and they don't really want to go to a movie about shootings when they're seeing about school shootings. And I, and, I, and I get all that. Don't blame the movie. One, I know it's just a coincidence. It has nothing to do with the other. And finally, on this subject, when it comes to Slenderman, it's coming out to theaters this weekend. August is a traditionally a slow time. In fact, Mission Impossible Fallout has led the past two weekends at the box office. The Meg is actually being introduced in more theaters and is projected to do a little bit stronger than the Slenderman movie is right now. But as you and I both know, when we followed the box office movie scene, and in particular the horror movie scene, the first two weekends are specifically important to more than any other industry, the horror movie industry, because in the first two weekends, that's when people go to see horror movies. So I want to hear your thoughts. Is the Slender Man movie, because these first two weekends are truly important to the film's long-term success, or any success for that matter, do you think it's going to see some type of box office revenue or well enough to be considered a staple in the horror movie industry. Yes and no. I think the problem is is that August and January seem to be these two months where after summer blockbusters come and go, August is a dumping ground. January is that once all the Academy Award Oscar buzz movies die down, January's and, and February is a dumping ground. August seems to be a dumping ground for horror movies nowadays because of I think think those Conjuring and Insidious movies that came out. And I think it's because nothing else is playing. It seems smart. So now every horror movie idea is going to come out in August because The Conjuring did well at the box office. The prequel to Annabelle, Annabelle Rising or Annabelle the Dark, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. That did well. But don't forget, if a movie came out in mid or late July and I can go back to we're, we're celebrating 10 years of Christopher Nolan's A Dark Knight and that was a July release and that was box office king for about 5 to 6 weeks maybe more until I think uh, Ben Stiller's movie came along I think it has to do with word of mouth more and advertising I think The Meg is doing so well because that trailer showed more in theaters it didn't matter what the movie was the Meg was somehow shoved in your face. Slender Man, I think people are just hoping that because it was discussed on the internet here or there, that's why it's being made, but I don't think it was marketed as well as The Meg. Meg was brought up, I think, late February, early March. 
it just didn't come out when the Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom movie came out, and bam, that was I knew that was going to be shoved in my face. But that was there were posters, there were those giant stands, you know, those giant cardboard stands. Slender Man. Every now and then, I would see a poster at a movie theater and go, "Okay, well," and it's just Slender Man standing there, and you're hoping well, that Slender Man. But but the Meg. Not only does it have that giant cardboard cutout where you can take pictures in front of it because it's a new thing now, but there's powers to be made sure that that trailer would be out every single movie that people were going to go see, whether it be Jurassic World or whether it be uh, Teen Titans Go. And I'm not kidding. It was in front of that. Because the interesting thing now is with digital projectors – uh, they're using Wi-Fi, so it's a crapshoot. You don't know what trailers are going to pop up. It, it, there's a big thing now, especially when you purchase a DVD and you have it connected to your PlayStation or Xbox, and I have that option where if you want to go on the internet, it generates previews. And, you know, because usually previews would come with your DVD, but now they just generate online before you're watching the movie, so you never know what's going to pop up. There was a lot smarter marketing with. One, and unfortunately, Slender Man will just be whispered, and Hollywood will go, "Well, we tried, and no, that's not how it works." For not just horror movies, but a lot of pop culture stuff. In fact, some of his latest episodes are reaching back into the vault to cover a lot of these Star Wars movies that he's talked about in the past as well. So you got to check that out. It is the Hunnic Ween podcast, and you got to check it out today on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many other great outlets. Jason, as always, my friend, it's so great to talk to you, so great to keep in touch with you on everything going on within the realm of pop culture. But as our man in the know when it comes to horror, mystery, and the macabre, there's none better than you, my friend. Appreciate oh. everything you do at Hunnic Queen. Oh, you're just saying that because you know it's true. <laughs> yes, it is. Coming up next is our good friend Tyler Baker from the Fancy Football Pater podcast talking about what running backs you should key in on in your upcoming fantasy football draft. This is the PCC Multiverse. Based on the webcomic by Sarumaru, FX Unit Yuki is now available on the PC Engine and Turbo Graphics systems. With eight varying stages of hardcore 2D action, an awesome soundtrack and intense boss battles, FX Unit Yuki gets the adrenaline pumping as you navigate through its multiple difficulties and endings. Check out Old School Retro at its finest today by ordering a CD-ROM copy of FX Unit Yuki for the PC Engine or Turbo Graphics today at fxunityuki.com. That's fxunityuki. Ah, yes. It's getting to be that time of the year, and football is here. It is back again and back back again strong. You know what that means. It is time once again for you to go ahead to your local pizza parlor or your local draft house or even online to one of the gazillion places that offer 
fantasy football because yes it is time once again for fantasy football it is one of the preeminent things that we'd love to do here in pop culture and who better to explain everything that you need to know for your upcoming fantasy football draft than my good friend a man who's here not just for fantasy football but his pop culture knowledge it is my good friend he is the host of the fantasy football pater podcast I just struck a deal to have this man have his podcast, his thoughts, I don't want to say exclusively, but predominantly now going forward, at least in the interim, right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos, it is my good friend, Mr. Tyler Baker. I had so many things. Good that football's back. Good to be on the show again. And it's just so good to see football again. It's back. We now turn the page to running backs, my friend, and there's a lot of good running backs. And you have said that running backs are the priority when it comes to the fantasy football draft that comes up for everyone later this month, even in fact, right now as we speak. So I ask you, my friend, you have said that there is a drop-off after the first few running backs. Who would you target first? And if that is the case and there is a drop-off, what should you do if you feel that the draft is not going your way when it comes to running backs? Well, I recommend drafting running backs early and often. If you have one of the first five picks in your draft, all of them should be running back. Now, all respect due to Antonio Brown, but I think I think he should be going number six in drafts. When you get a workhorse running back, I'm talking about a Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, Ezekiel Elliott. These guys, there's nobody in that backfield to share with. There are not very many NFL teams that have featured running backs. If you get one of those guys on your team, you are going to have an advantage every single week against your opponent. So I recommend drafting running back early and often. And if you can get one of those stud guys, you are going to be poised to make the playoffs two picks into your draft. If there is a, uh, something that that's not going to be able to line out for you and those running backs, those top mm-hmm. tier of running backs mm-hmm. get sucked up right away, which mm-hmm. always seems to happen to me when I draft because sure. I always get like 10 out of 10 or ninth out of 10th of my drafting position. Who do I need to target to in that second tier? Or are there any promising rookies or any unexpected picks that you think mm-hmm. might shape out to be a quality running back for my team? Well, I, I'm not crazy about the rookies this year. I don't like Rashard Penny. I think just because and uh, Rashard Penny was the first round draft pick uh, taken by the Seattle Seahawks. Just because they picked him in the first round, I don't think they're necessarily just going to slide him right into the starting role and everything that I've heard out of camp, not just from Pete Carroll and, you know, the team, they're super sunshine about everything, but all of the beat reporters are saying that Chris Carson is the best looking guy in camp. Just because Rashad Penny has that first round pedigree, that does not mean he's going to come in and start. And I see Penny going in, you know, the top 15. I've seen a couple where he's going in the top 10. So I would I would be careful of that situation. Shaquan Barkley is by far the best running back that has come out in this draft. But the Giants also have Jonathan Stewart. And Jonathan Stewart still has some football left in him. And I see a scenario a very plausible scenario 
where Jonathan Stewart handles a good amount of work to kind of show the rookie how to play. I'm sure there's going to be some pass protection that they would much rather have Jonathan Stewart in there. Who knows? They might even put Stewart in on the goal line. So while I think Barkley is the future, I don't know if he's necessarily the present there in New York. So where a lot of guys have him in the top five, I have him just outside of the top five for that reason. So there's not a lot of these rookies that I like. Now, if you're looking a little bit later in the draft as to you know who you might be able to pick up for a steal if you miss some of these top guys, I think you could look to Lamar Miller. He's fallen really, really deep in drafts. Now, he's not your favorite <laughs> RB you know, running back starter, but he, he is a starter on a team that looks like the, that the offense is going to provide somewhat of a spark. He's not you know, the guy you really want to start. But if you're later in the draft, you could pick him up. Isaiah Crowell in New York. It looks like the starting job is his. And where he really didn't get a lot going in Cleveland while he was there, I think I think the Jets are a little bit better team to run the ball with. So Crowell, you know, later in the draft. I'm also looking at CJ Anderson. Last year when Christian McCaffrey came out, I told everyone, hey, he's not the first round guy. He's more or a third round guy that ended up being correct. I think he's still that guy, but a lot of people are taking McCaffrey very early, but McCaffrey is not a between the tackles runner. CJ Anderson is that guy. CJ Anderson is also better in pass protection than Christian McCaffrey is. And you can get CJ Anderson for just about nothing right now because everybody is so focused on Christian McCaffrey. I think McCaffrey's the better athlete. I think in PPR leagues, McCaffrey is definitely the way to go. But don't forget about C.J. Anderson and much how Jonathan Stewart had a productive year last year. I think you could look at that production and say that C.J. Anderson is going to get that production maybe even a little bit more because I think Anderson brings a little bit more in the receiving game so that Carolina has a lot of different things that they'll be able to do because I think Anderson's a little bit more versatile than Stewart. So C.J. Anderson you can get for just about nothing. You can get him in the mid-rounds and he could plug in and be an RB2 for you. One last thing when it concerns running backs, when you are drafting, either whether it's high or middle or in the lower rounds, and you need to fill out your roster with running backs, and you said obviously make them a focus and priority early on, what are you targeting when it comes to the running backs themselves? Is it durability? Is it yardage? Is it touchdowns? Is it the fact that they maybe have a lot of receptions on the side? What is it that you target the most when you're selecting your running backs to fill out the rest of your roster after obviously those first five are taken? Yeah, well, when you're looking at your roster, you want to have the guys that you want starting. You want a good backup. Beyond that, I think you're looking for opportunity. Maybe you want to take a chance on some of these rookies. You know, maybe they get their shot and they get a chance to play. I think you want to look for teams that maybe have a running back that's injury prone and maybe, you know, look at who's behind them. You want to spend some of those later roster spots on handcuffs. Handcuffs are important, but more specifically, some of the guys that I want to get on my team and that I'm going to get on my team. Like I want Deion Lewis on my team. Deion Lewis is going kind of later in drafts and the Tennessee Titans, as I said earlier, are one of those teams that I think with Matt LaFour coaching that offense, I think that they're going to do some really good things this year. So when I look at Deion Lewis's skill set 
and what he can do. I mean, he's one of those guys that anytime he gets the ball in his hands, he can score. And so where Derrick Henry is certainly the top dog there, I think Deion Lewis is going to have a lot of work this year. A little bit later in the draft, you can get Mark Ingram. Now, Mark Ingram is on a, I believe it's a four-game suspension. So Alvin Kamara, expect him to go absolutely nuts for their first four games. But Mark Ingram had a really good season last year, almost quiet, but but not really quiet because he was just putting up numbers. Because of that four-game suspension, you can get him a couple rounds later than you normally would have to pay for him. So he might be a guy to look for you know, a little bit later in your draft to, to fill out your roster. You're not going to be able to play him right away, but, but if you can stick him on the back of your roster week five, he'll be able to come out and produce probably uh, running back two numbers. So there's guys, you know, deeper in the draft. You really want to look for opportunity. You want to look for physical ability and opportunity. That's really the formula for fantasy success. You want to have a guy that's, that's athletic and good, and it's going to have the opportunity to play because there's a lot of really, really good athletes in the NFL that are buried on depth charts. So ability and opportunity are what you're looking for in a fantasy football player. But it <laughs> is, once again, Tyler Baker. So glad to have him part of the Pop Culture Cosmos this year with his show, the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. It's going to be like quick hits for you. It's nothing long, nothing nothing stretched out for you. It's quick hits from the man himself on his thoughts on the fantasy football scene each week. And that's going to be found right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos channels. You can subscribe to it and you'll be able to get that all for you right there. Tyler, I'm just truly honored as always to have you part of the show, part of the program and now a true weekly contributor in an official fashion with us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Looking forward to it. So glad to have football back. And it's going to be fun spending the season with you, my friend. Absolutely. Until that first loss comes in and just hear me complain. <laughs> just hear me complain. My friend, it's always great to have you a part of the show. And as always, a great part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, along with my good friend... Mr. Josh Peterson from Humanica Media. Just want to tell everybody out there, if you need a listing of where we're at, where we're being played, because we're on radio seven days a week, you just got to check us out at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook or Pop Culture Cosmos on Twitter. Josh, before we head on out and talk about what's going on with the Oscars, any updates on what's going on with your great experience known as Humanica Media? Yes, new topic clips that dropped this morning. You can check it out. It's about sporting superstitions. You can check it out on Podbean, iTunes, podcast.com, all the usual suspects. That is, again, the topic podcast. Check it out. It's from our friends at Humanic Media. So, Josh, before we head on out, I got to ask you, my friend, did you see the thing that's going on with the Oscars? Because 
for some reason, I'm assuming it's ratings related and the fact that their ratings have gone down in recent times. They are now trying to reach out to a broader audience by offering, get this, they're going with a popular movie category, which to me devalues what the Oscar is, if that's the case going forward, especially for films that actually do well at the box office, they're going to be pigeonholed into that category instead of a best picture category. I think it it really just undermines what they're talking about. In recent years, they've expanded the best picture list to hopefully include many of those popular films. I just don't get it. I just don't buy it. I think it's a, a wrong move for the Oscars and the Academy. Share me your thoughts on the actual decision that was made by the Academy to say, hey, we need to have a popular films category and kind of deviating away from the best picture category in and of itself. I think it's a good opportunity for a lot of films that wouldn't normally be considered for an Oscar to kind of get something because, you know, let's be honest, like the Oscars are a lot of very snobby films. You know, it's it's a lot of things that people are going to watch, but just because they want to be relevant and say like, hey, I watched this film and I feel that should not have gotten that or that should have gotten that. It's for Oscar parties, most of them, you know, and then on the other side, it's also I think it's it's a dangerous thing because it's going to get another one of those things. The Oscars got a lot of criticism this year for being far too social and not being unbiased in their choices or whatever. So it's going to cause division, I think, even more so than they have now, because last year was already like the most underviewed Oscars that had have ever been. You know, we're running into this problem where like all these movies, it's like either you have one side saying, oh, there's too many ethnic or gender or whatever you want to call it type movies. And I think it's dangerous because it's going to cause a lot of that type of discussion. But it's also going to make people wonder, is this a ploy by the Oscars to get more publicity? I'm on the fence about it, man. Like I, you know, there's another conversation for another time, but I just I don't really have much respect for the Oscars anymore. I would like to see some of like the independent category get opened up a little bit more than you know the the few that are in there it'd be nice if there's a system where where normal people were voting for these films instead of a panel what do you what do you think of that idea i would prefer that over what they're talking about with a most popular film category i would prefer independent films being singled out to give them a shine because when it comes to the oscars the hollywood movie industry about it's not what you know it's who you know and maybe there's some votes going one way or the other or favoritism going on i understand there is a vested interest by many for their movie or their product to get included in that best picture category and now that they've created a popular film category it kind of to me, like I said, waters down or dilutes it, but it now gives an opportunity for other films to be highlighted. I guess it looks great when you're throwing it onto a DVD or Blu-ray box. And you could say it included an Oscar nomination or an Oscar win that you may have not gotten under previous circumstances. But hey, that's the way the cookie crumbles right now. The Oscars are going to include a popular film category. I think a better alternative would be increasing to 10, which would probably include a popular film or two would not be such a bad idea and i think that would probably be a better alternative and a better way to keep the integrity of the academy awards and make a lot more people happy overall what are your thoughts on the academy awards creating a new popular film category do you think it waters down the overall process or do you like it and do you think this gives a better chance for films 
from the Star Wars, Jurassic Park, or any of the popular films we see each year a better chance to get recognized for the quality work they do. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. So my friend, it's been another great episode indeed. I want to thank Chris Daly from Fresh Media Works, Jason Todd Feinberg from Honey Queen, and also Tyler Baker, of course, from the Fantasy Football Pater podcast coming to the Pop Culture Cosmos channel as well. For Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself. Oh, great.